him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray them, betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray together before we talk about this text and this idea of a beautiful life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and we just rejoice that you are living and active. We rejoice that you are here as we gather for a revival meeting these next couple nights. We pray that the living God would indeed revive our hearts. We pray that you would do a work that only you can. May you cause us to delight in you. May you cause us to see you. And we pray that you would help us to respond to you. We pray, God, that you would touch us in a way that only you can and that our lives would never be the same again. Uh, we pray every single person that comes through these doors would be transformed by your grace. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your, your, uh, your presence in our lives. We ask that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Think about this idea of beauty. Beauty. As I was preparing this message, I couldn't help but think of things, beautiful things, that just kind of fade after time, what we call fads. We all know fads. Things that were hot for one moment, but society moves on from it. And so it just becomes a fad. It's temporary. I thought of some fads. I don't, I don't know if they, do you guys even know some of these fads? The younger crew, I guess sitting up here. I don't know if you know some of these fads. First thing I thought of was this Pokemon. Do you guys know Pokemon? Do the younger guys know Pokemon? No? Anyways, I used to teach sixth, seventh grade for six years, and uh, this was, I don't know why, but this was the big thing, this Yu-Gi-Oh thing and all these collectors. Anyways, I was thinking of fads. I thought of Livestrong bracelet. You guys remember that? The yellow bracelet. How many of you had that in your day? Okay, thank you. Thank you, handful, the older folk. Thought of this video game that I, I don't know if you guys know, Super Smash Brothers. This was when I was in college, kids would stay up all night playing this game, Super Smash Brothers. I thought about, I don't know, I don't know why, I thought about Hannah Montana. That was really big at one point among girls, and then she became who she is now. Uh, but she was really big at one point. I thought about books, books that were really big. You know, I thought about these days, this book, Hunger Games, was really big. And if you think about it, a couple uh, years before that, there was that Twilight series. Twilight, oh, no, I'm sorry, Harry Potter, Twilight. What am I talking about? Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter was really big when I was youth pastoring. 
I had some weird youth group kids that would dress up like Harry Potter and wizards and things like that and wait in line when that book would come out. And then uh, Encyclopedia Brown was a book in my day. You guys even know Encyclopedia Brown? Bugs Meanie, Encyclopedia Brown, he solved mysteries for a quarter. That was really big back in my day. I thought about music and boy bands. These days, there's this group, I don't know how popular they are now, but uh, One Direction. I mean, my son, my two-year-old son, this is his favorite band. And he sings that song, uh, what is it called? Uh, what Makes You Beautiful or something like that. He sings that song. He can't even talk. And he sings that song, One Direction. But if you go back a couple years, it was this group called the Jonas Brothers. I don't know if you know them. They were really big. But when I was in high school, there was this group called New Kids on the Block. New Kids on I got a sister that connects with me right now. New Kids on the Block. I mean, look at this group. This group of five. They sang this song called Hanging Tough. Look at this group. What do they know about being tough, right? But they sang this song called Hanging Tough. Think about fads. The list could go on. You know, fads, they don't last. They're, they're really beautiful. They're hot for one moment. And the next, it just fades. It just moves on. That's what a fad is. It's, it's beautiful for one moment. But when you look at our passage, it's a little different what's going on. We see a story that does last. We see a beauty that doesn't fade. That's what Jesus says in verse 6. As this woman who is nameless in our account, but if you look at other passages, specifically in the book of John, we know to be this woman named Mary. And she comes to Jesus with this alabaster jar, very expensive perfume inside. She pours it all on Jesus. And what strikes me of everything that Jesus says, and as we look at this passage, if you look at verse 6, Jesus says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. Jesus looks at this act that this woman does, and he says it's beautiful. But it's not just beautiful. What he says is in verse 9, she has, what she has done will be told in memory of her. It's not just beautiful, but this beauty is going to last. As Jesus looks at this act, this beautiful act, he sees a beauty that will last. I think what Jesus is saying is that her life and what she has done is beautiful and it will last. I don't know about you, but I want Jesus, when he looks at my life at the end of however long that might be, I want him to say that life that he lived was a beautiful life. It was a beautiful life. I hope and pray that every single one of you, that would be your ambition, your dream, your desire, that when Jesus looks at your life at the end of however long that is, he would say, that was a beautiful, well-lived life. Amen? We'll look at this passage, and we'll see what was beautiful about her that stood the test of time. We'll talk about three things as we work our way through this text. We'll first talk about the vision of the beautiful. Secondly, we'll talk about the heart of the beautiful. And third, we'll talk about the hands of the beautiful. So first, let's talk about this idea of the vision of the beautiful. What does she see? that strikes him as beautiful. Well, whatever we see shows what we love. What do I mean by that? Well, 
Two people can sit in the same event and they'll see completely different things because they love different things. For example, when my wife and I sit in a wedding ceremony, we see completely different things. I mean, my wife, she'll sit in that service and she'll see the decor of the whole room. She'll see the wedding dress and she'll notice how beautiful it is. To me, all wedding dresses are the same, but she sees a beautiful dress. She sees the, you know, she sees everything, the flowers, the, the decoration, and the whole atmosphere. Me, when I go to a wedding, I see that ring boy that's picking his nose, right? When I go to a wedding, I see all my friends that I haven't seen in a while. I don't see the decor. I don't see the dress. I don't see any of these things. I see my friends. I see all these things. Are you guys with me? Two people can go through the very, very same event and they're going to see different things because it shows what they love. In this account, there are three different groups of people that see the same Jesus and they all respond differently. They see different things, which really reveals their heart. Well, what did this first group of people see? The chief priests and scribes. What did they see? All they could see was what they were going to lose because of Jesus. They saw what they were going to lose because of Jesus. The chief priests, many of us know, were the religious figures that ran the ceremonies, ran the sacrifices, basically ran worship services. The scribes were the teachers of the law. So these were religious folk, and when they see Jesus, there was a sense of fear. They feared Jesus, but it wasn't a religious fear. It was more of a political fear. They were afraid of what they were going to lose. Jesus was a serious threat to their power, to their position, to their um, influence. And all they could see when they see Jesus and his coming is what they were going to lose. And so they respond in verse 1 by desiring to kill him. All they could see was what they were going to lose. What did Judas see? A different character. Well, chief priests and scribes, we said they saw what they were going to lose. Judas looked at Jesus, and what he saw was what he could gain. He looked at what he could benefit by Jesus. This is the disciple, remember, that walked three years with Jesus, saw these miracles that very few saw, heard these amazing teachings. He, for three years, walked with Jesus. Maybe it was towards the tail end of this ministry as Jesus talked more frequently about his impending death. Maybe he started thinking, what a waste. I wasted my time. I wasted my, my three years. I'm not getting anything. And so maybe it was in that mindset he started to think how he could benefit. Regardless, Judas saw Jesus and all he could see was what he could gain. So he goes to these chief priests in verse 11 and they promised to give him money. He saw how he could benefit, what he could gain. What did this woman see? These two characters, they saw what they were going to lose or how they could gain. What did the woman see? Judas saw what he could gain. She saw what she could give. She saw Jesus and she wondered what she could give him. She saw someone that was of infinite worth she saw a Messiah, the king of the world. Notice 
Mark tells us this woman is pouring perfume on his head. Other passages, another passage tells us it was poured on his feet. It's poured on his head because it's emphasizing his kingship, his messiahship, anointing. She saw someone that she loved. And when she saw him, she wondered what she could give. That's what worship is. Worship is seeing something beautiful and responding. Uh, the very idea of worship literally means worth-ship. Ascribing value, recognizing the value, the worth of something and responding. It's that moment when you say, wow, when you see something beautiful. For me, when I eat a medium-rare, freshly grilled steak and you slice into it and those juices come out of it and it's an aroma that you think is like an aroma of God coming to your nose and you take that bite, you know, that bite, it's, and it's like, it's like so hot, you do that, that moment, you go, whoa. You're recognizing the beauty of an object, or maybe you don't like meat, maybe you're one of the uh, vegetarians, so it's that salad that you eat, right? A crispy salad, and you go, wow. It's that moment you respond to something beautiful. I am a huge Cubs fan. I'm from Chicagoland, and it's been a difficult life for me. Uh, they haven't celebrated a victory in a long time. Anyways, I'm a huge Cubs fan, and when I think about what heaven is going to be like, sometimes I think it's got to be like Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field is a stadium that the Chicago Cubs play, and there's something magical that happens when you walk into the stadium. There's this aroma. I don't know how to explain it. You just I don't know what heaven is like. I just think it's going to be like Wrigley Field. <laughs> Anyways, um, I remember back in 99, there was this neck-and-neck neck battle between two baseball players uh, that were competing for this historic home run race. Two, two, two people, there's a picture. One was named Sammy Sosa. He was a player for the Chicago Cubs. The other person name was Mark McGuire. He played for the St. Louis Cardinals. And if you know anything about baseball, Chicago Cubs' greatest rivalry is with the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, this particular day in the summer of August, I had the privilege of going to one of these games where they're neck and neck trying to break this uh, home run record of 60 by Roger Maris. And uh, I remember this particular day, ESPN was also in the bleachers. It was a big game. It was a big game. And I remember when uh, Mark McGuire came up to bat, all of Wrigley Field started to stand. And we started to boo this man because we, we didn't like the St. Louis Cardinals. So we started booing and heckling and saying, go home, we hate you, Cardinals, fly away. And we just said all the stuff that makes no sense, but we started saying all this stuff. And I remember that pitcher threw that pitch. And uh, there was this, this sound if you watch baseball, you know the sound. It hit the sweet spot of the bat, and it flew into the bleachers. And these boos quickly became, oh, my goodness, did you see that? That was amazing. The next time this guy, Mark McGuire, came up to bat, the whole stadium stood up again. But this time, we were not jeering him. We were not, um, you know, yelling at him. We were cheering him. <laughs> Wrigley Field, Chicago, we were cheering him. We were saying things like, 
hit one my way, you can do it, right? And I remember this pitcher threw the ball, same sound, hit that sweet spot. And I was sitting in the, in the right or left field bleachers. And I remember that ball sailed over my head and it flew over the fence. There's a fence and it went onto the street. People were high-fiving each other. People were hugging each other. I don't know why I responded like this, but when that ball flew over my head, I just stood there like this. <laughs> I don't know why. I just stood there like this. And it was, it was, it was glorious. It was, it was amazing. When you see something beautiful, you can't help but to respond. You respond in different ways, but nevertheless, you can't help but to respond. It's that moment where you go, wow, did you see that? I wonder for us in this room, and I recognize there is a wide range of people here. I wonder if we could say that's true about our walk with Christ. That moment where you say, wow, did you see that? Did you experience that? Did you encounter him? I wonder if we could say that's true about our relationship with Christ. Worship has recognized the, the value of an object. And I wonder if that is true for us. In our hearts, there is that recognition, that joy in who he is. My question for every single one of us, regardless of how long you've been following Christ, are you still amazed at him? I've seen too many people, I, like Pastor D.L. said, I, I pastor on the campus of University of Illinois. And it's sad because I see a lot of college students that catch on fire. What I see um, in my four years, it's a privilege of ministering to students. I see a lot of students in the beginning years of their college life, they go wayward. They run away from God. They want to experience different things, experiment. But there came a point for a lot of our students where they met God. And their lives were radically changed. But after many years, it's sad, but a lot of them lose that wonder, that joy. There's something special. When every moment you come to worship, when you come into the sanctuary, when you, when you sing songs, it's not just singing, it's a responding to who he is. I pray that we would never lose the wonder of the cross. Amen? May that worship, may that song never grow old in your heart. Sometimes it just takes thinking about those moments when you first met him. And as you think about it, you pray, Lord, may my heart never lose that passion. I pray that we would never lose that wonder. Well, secondly, if that was this woman's vision, let's talk about her heart. The heart of the beautiful. For this nameless woman, what she saw was reflective of her heart. Her heart was deeply in love with Christ. There's two kinds of people in this passage when you look at their hearts. There are some people who are too much, quote unquote, too much people. And then there are some who are not enough. Too much people when some who we know to be disciples in Matthew's account, when some see this extravagant act, their response in verse 4, why was the ointment 
wasted. For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. Their response is, this is too much. It was a waste. This was too much. On a side note, though, when Jesus corrects them by saying, you will always have the poor with you whenever you want. You can do good for them, but you will not always have me. Jesus is not saying the poor are unimportant because we know much of his ministry was targeted to the poor. So this is not a declaration that the poor are less significant. What Jesus is saying is any act done out of love for him is never a waste. Anytime you, you, you respond and you give, it is never a waste. It is never too much. These people, they see this act. They say that was too much. But this woman, what was in her heart? This woman, she was not enough. It was not enough. This amount was not enough. Mary poured perfume on Jesus that was worth as much as a year's wage, 300 denarii. Whereas comparing that to what G Judas does, sells Jesus for 30 silver coins, which was the price of a slave during that time. This woman gave everything that she had. It was a family heirloom that she gives everything to. You get the feeling if she had more perfume, she would have poured it. It wasn't the amount that she gave, but it was how much she did not hold back that showed her heart. She was saying, Jesus is worth everything. Jesus was worth everything. She was a not enough person. This was not enough. Uh, I don't know what it is about these days, but a lot of our college students that have gone on um, who are working in different places, I don't know why, but this is a season where a lot of them are getting engaged. I don't know. Like last week and past two weeks, there were four proposals that happened these past two weeks. I don't know what's going on, uh, but there's love in the air and they're proposing like it's just happening everywhere. I, know, I was thinking about proposals. You never think if you're going to propose to your fiance, you never think like, you know, how can I get a bargain out of this, right? Like, how can I cut corners? How can I save a little money here and there? You don't think like that. You go all out. You know, I was thinking about my proposal when I uh, proposed to my wife. Um, there is not an artistic bone in my body. I am not artistic. I don't look artistic, and I'm not artistic. Uh, but when we first met, I was helping her with, what is it, paper origamis. You guys know origami cranes? She was giving a speech in one of her speech comm classes, and I helped her make some of these paper cranes. So I thought, when I propose to her, I'll make some of these paper cranes as a display of how far we've come. So I came across a packet of, you know, those small origami, like, not like your standard, you know, like small. I'm saying small. Did I tell you I'm not artistic, right? Like, my fingers don't work like that. But I decided to take this packet and make origami cranes and fill a, a, a bottle about this big. I made a thousand cranes over the course of a month or two. Stayed up nights making these cranes. And oh, many nights, honestly, I'm thinking, what am I doing, right? 
And then I was thinking these ingenious thoughts because I taught seventh grade. I thought, I'll just get my seventh grade students to make it, right? They'll never know. She'll never know. But then there's a side like I'm thinking, I can't do that. I've got to show her how much she means to me. Thank you. <laughs> you know, um, and uh, when, we pro- when I proposed to her, I did all this stuff. You know, I'm not artistic. I'm not musical. I was telling Pastor DL. I'm actually tone deaf. But I decided, I don't know why, but I decided on this particular proposal, I would sing her a song that I wrote. <laughs> I wrote a song and I sang it. But the thing is, as I was singing it, <laughs> I don't know how this happens, but I forgot how it goes, right? <laughs> so I started singing this song, strumming this guitar, and I'm thinking, how does the song go? I knew the words, but I didn't know the melody of the song, and so it just sounded just horrible. <laughs> and afterwards, um, I remember she started crying because she realized what was going on. I took the wedding ring, or the uh, engagement ring and I said something. I forgot what I said, but I said, will you marry me? And she goes, yes, right? So I put the, finger on, I put the ring on her finger. <laughs> and then as she's crying, she goes, KJ, on the wrong hand. <laughs> I put it on the wrong hand. But as I was reflecting on all of this, as I went, you know, thinking about everything that I went through, put myself through shame multiple times, <laughs> it still brings me a lot of pain thinking about that moment. But as I think about all of that, you know, I would do it again a hundred times over. Because it's about, it's not about what I do, it's about the person. Too much people, when people say it's too much, they're looking at the price. They're looking at what they paid. People who are not enough, people who say this is not enough, they're looking at the person. Too much people, they say, you know, when it comes to my time, that's too much. When it comes to my money, that's too much. When it comes to my future and my plans and my dreams, that's too much. At what point in our lives do we say, you know, Lord, that's too much? Whatever that is, whenever we say that's too much, Lord, that's our idol. That's what's going to keep you from being wholehearted in your devotion to God. That moment where you say that is too much. But when we start to gaze at the person, we become not enough people. We say, you are worth more than anything in my life. All I have is yours. I hold everything with an open hand. We start to say, my whole life is yours. Too much people, they have a minimum mentality, a bare minimum mentality. Not enough people give maximally. Too much people, they see the price. Not enough people see the person. Uh, I think one of the scariest things about our time and our generation, and uh, Pastor D.L. was talking about my involvement with uh, JGen Ministry. It's basically a youth ministry where about 80 different churches are connected. Uh, we hold the annual event. And I, I, you know, I work with a lot of youth. I work with a lot of EM churches in the Chicagoland area. I think one of the scariest things about this generation 
I don't know if it's true about uh, Harvest Church of Orlando, but just generally what I see among uh, my generation is that we are very relevant. We know how to connect with people, but we don't know how to sacrifice. I think that's one of the scariest things that I see. You know, when, when a lot of us who have grown up in the um, ethnic church, most of these churches, and I would, I would put money on the, the fact that this church is probably true of that too, most of these churches were built off of sacrifice. Parents that, that gave endlessly, gave large financial, financially to their church, but not just financially, but with their, their heart and time and prayers. They just served and sacrificed. If you think about it, the church, even before that, was built off a of sacrifice of what Jesus had done laying his life off uh, for the church. I think about our generation, how many of us live off of comfort. We give when it's convenient, but when it hurts a little, we say, you know, Lord, that's too much. I pray, I pray that this church would see sacrifice as a delight. Because I tell you, when the world sees a church that sacrifices out of delight, they see something of infinite worth, and they start to desire that. I pray that this church would be built and established and flourishing in delightful sacrifice. Amen? I pray that that would become the DNA of this church. The heart of the beautiful sees Jesus and says, this, what I give him, is not enough. Finally, let's talk about the hands of the beautiful the hands of the beautiful. Everything that she did was an overflow from her heart. What she did with her hands was an expression of her heart. Her eyes were fixed on Christ. Her heart was bursting in love and her hands were an overflow of that heart. And with her hands, she poured everything onto Christ. One word stands out in all of this. When Jesus sees it, he says, beautiful. The disciples see a waste, but Jesus sees beauty. Mark 14, verse 6, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. It was beautiful because what she did with her hands was an expression of her heart. When Jesus sees this act, he sees her heart, and that was beautiful. I know a lot of people don't celebrate Father's Day. I know a lot of churches don't celebrate Father's Day. I mean, Mother's Day is always celebrated. Mothers always get that flower every Mother's Day. But there's none of that for fathers. Father's Day, you don't go to church and fathers don't get flowers. Fathers don't get hammers. Right? They don't get anything on Father's Day. But in my household, Father's Day is a sacred holiday. We celebrate it annually. And I make them celebrate Father's Day. I remember when, uh, I have a picture of my daughter, one of my daughters, this is Eunice. Um, she's now seven, but when she was about four, I remember a couple days before Father's Day, she came home with the family, and she goes, Dad, Dad, do you know what we got you for Father's Day? I think they just came from the store, and they just purchased something for Father's Day. And my wife, like all Korean moms, when they want their child to be quiet, she went, 
that's like universal. You better stop talking or you will die, right? <laughs> so anyways, so she got up and she ran away. But I remember that particular Father's Day, that particular Father's Day, I had to go to the office to do a couple things. And when I came back from the office, my little girl, Eunice, shoots up out of the table and runs with this piece of paper and hands it to me. I look at this piece of paper, and I notice a couple things. One, it was done on the back of her sister's Korean homework, right? <laughs> and I see, I see these lines just going everywhere. It's like squiggly purple, green, black, and it's just squiggling everywhere. And I'm looking at this picture, which I actually have a picture of. I took a picture of that. This is what she drew for me. I'm looking at this picture. I have no idea what this is, right? She's four years old. She hands it to me. So I, I look at her. I go, Eunice, what is this? And she looks at me, and she says, what is this? I go, wait, what? <laughs> like, I'm a little confused here. So I said, Eunice, you drew the picture. What is this? So she says, what is this? I realize we're not getting anywhere here. So I look at this picture, and I say, I see a daddy butterfly, and I see a baby butterfly. You look at this picture, you're like, what? Hey, you got to pull things out, right? Like, anyways, I said, I see a daddy butterfly, and I see a baby butterfly, and they're flying together. She has a smile on her face. And she says this. She says, do you like it? I look at her and I say, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I mean, any artist, any human being would look at this and not see the beauty in it. They just see lines and they see squiggly mess. But her father that recognizes that this is an all-day venture in her drawing this, spending all of this time drawing this, gives it to me. It is beautiful because I see her heart in what she's done. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. I mean, any person that sees this event unfolding with this this woman breaking this alabaster jar, pieces of jar, clay on the ground scattered everywhere, perfume spilling all over the floor. Any person would look at this and say the same thing these disciples said. Why this waste? Because in some sense, it is a waste, isn't it? It is messy. But Jesus sees this act done out of love is beauty. It's beautiful to him. Why? I think Mark, actually, when he sees this event unfolding, sees the cross. The, this passage is actually the turning point in the book of Mark as we progress to the cross. This passage in verse 1 says, we are two days from Passover. This author is thinking of this Passover. Everything has been leading up to the cross where the Passover lamb, the Messiah, 
would die. I would argue that everything that this nameless woman does is picturing the cross. Her breaking of this alabaster jar in verse 3, I believe, is picturing another type of breaking. Mark sees this event, and I think he's thinking of the cross. How do we know? Well, the next passage in Mark chapter 14, verse 22, is Jesus is having this last Passover lamb or meal with the disciples. He takes bread, same language, and he breaks it. He says, this is my body. There's this echoing of breaking in this chapter. The breaking of this alabaster jar is echoed in this breaking of the bread, which is pointing forward to the body of Christ that will be broken on the cross. There's a picture of pouring out also. The, the jar that was broken, uh, the content was all poured out in verse 3. All of it, every drop of it was poured onto Jesus. And there's this echoing again in this passage, or in, in the next passage in Mark chapter 14, verse 24. This is the, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. The pouring of the perfume points forward to the pouring of the wine that's pointing forward to the pouring of the blood. What's my point? For this woman, when her heart was in love with Christ, whatever she did with her hands was picturing Christ. When her heart was bursting in love, everything that she did Show Jesus to people. When our hearts, this congregation, when our hearts are in love with Christ, whatever you do, whether it be serving in the church or, or in your community or in your work, whatever you do, picking up trash or whatever, anything done out of love for Christ is picturing Christ. I think about Mark chapter 14, verse 9. Very interesting if you look at Mark Chapter 14, verse 9. It says, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. It does not say she will be remembered. It says what she has done. Because her actions are flowing from her heart of love of Christ. And it's picturing Christ. And that's why Mark is keeping her anonymous. Because it's not about her. It's not about her identity. It's not about who she is. It's about who she is pointing to. The world says beauty is about how you look on the outside. The world says beauty is what kind of figure you have or what color your eyes are. Beauty is what kind of job you make or how much money you make. The world says beauty is what it is on the outside. Scripture says beauty is Christ. And beauty is becoming more like Christ, looking like Christ, and showing Christ to the world. Beauty is picturing Christ. You know, I think about this, this passage, the vision of the beautiful. She saw Christ, and she thought what she could give. When Christ saw us, he gave himself for us. Thinking about her, her heart. She was a not enough person. This was not enough. 
And when Christ showered uh, his love on us, it was far more than enough. It was everything. He gave all of himself. Thinking about the hands, her hands served out of her love for Christ. His hands served as he was pierced on behalf of his people. Sometimes I think about the cross. I think about the cross. And uh, every once in a while, I think about what the angels are thinking about. As they see this display, the second person of the Trinity, the infinite one of glorious worth, crucified as blood spilling everywhere. I think about these angels and how they see this glorious one, majestic one, the only one that deserves all worship. And it's for these people that are uh, that that waver in their faith, that are fickle in their faith, that don't appreciate who he is and what he's done. I think about these angels seeing from heaven what's happening, how Jesus is spilling his blood, and I wonder if they are saying the same thing. Why this waste? Why this waste? Why why this second person of Trinity, the Son of God, the Eternal One? Why is he wasting his blood? Why is he giving his life? For people that don't deserve it, why this waste? And I wonder if the Father overhears this and says, it is beautiful. It is worth it. I pray that this church would be a church that is deeply, deeply in love with Christ. Because that is a church that is powerful, influential in the world. It's not about the size. It's not about how big you can get. It is about the impact you can make. And when this church, this community is deeply in love with Christ, everything that you do is picturing Christ. That is a church that will impact this world. I pray that the heartbeat, the DNA of this church would be built on delighting and sacrifice and showing Jesus to the world. I pray that this church falls deeper in love with Christ. And everything that you do is in response to that. Let's pray together. Let's just pray for a few minutes. I think we'll probably sing a song or two and uh, we'll be led into prayer, but just spend a few minutes. And uh, ask yourself this as we pray for a little bit. Am I amazed at Christ? When I, when I encounter him, when I go to church, when I read scripture, when I worship... Am I amazed? I pray that we would never lose the wonder of the cross. That worship will never grow old in our hearts. Let's pray for a few minutes. And I recognize some of us uh, may not ever have those moments where we fell in love with Christ. Maybe through this revival meeting, you will encounter him in a way that you never have before. Let's pray for a few minutes. I believe God is here. With all of my heart, I believe God is here. Sometimes we don't have those wow moments 
because there are other things that captivate our joy. We need to repent, bring that to the Lord so that we can see his glory a little bit more. Just spend a few minutes in prayer and just say, Lord, help me to see you. Help me to grow in my love for you. Just spend a few minutes in prayer before uh, we sing and that we pray a little bit more.